Welcome to the Jackie Service Show. I'm Jackie Service, where we are talking all things people strategy, entrepreneurship, and how hiring the right humans will unlock the next phase of growth in your business. As a former corporate VP of HR, my life completely shifted when I learned I had a brain tumor. From this moment forward, I knew that there was more. I dove headfirst into healing, mindset work, and spirituality. And from this space, my entrepreneur journey was born. Now I am a people strategist and founder of Serve Recruitment Agency, a boutique recruitment firm that helps scaling companies hire aligned leaders for growth. In this podcast, I'm going to share about my business journey, entrepreneurship, leadership, and how hiring the right humans unlocks massive potential. Welcome to the show. Are you confused about hiring? You're not alone. Majority of leaders struggle to figure out who they need, in what roles, and when, and how these people will have the greatest impact on the growth of their business. This is why we created People Strategy Sessions to do a deep dive into your business and help you build a clear roadmap on the talent you need to drive sustainable growth. We dive into your greater why, where you are today in your business, where you want to go in your business from a growth standpoint, and ultimately, who do you need to enable that growth overall? For more information, please send an email to Jackie at JackieService.com or feel free to reach out at JackieService across all platforms. Welcome back to another episode of the Jackie Service Show. I'm so excited about this one. I have a new friend that's joining me today. Mr. Tim Boris, welcome to the show. Nice to be here. Thank you. We were talking just off camera about how many synergies we have in our lives when it comes to our backgrounds and how we think about employee well-being and wellness. And I'm excited to be able to explore that a little bit with you today and dive in to have a great conversation. I'm excited that we, I loved our conversation off, uh, off the show and, uh, I look forward to go, moving forward with it here. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. So before we dive into a bit more about your story, I love to do a couple rapid fire questions just so people can get to know you a little bit better. For sure. All right. We'll start with an easy one. Where were you born? Vancouver, BC. Okay. And where <laughs> is home now? Calgary, Alberta. Okay. So you've, you've stayed on the West coast. You still call us in Ontario, the East coast, right? And there's a different, there's a different energy between our West coast and East coast friends. <laughs> I love Definitely. that. Well, the, the true East coast is Maritimes, right? So it is, see, that's my East coast, but every, anytime I was out and I spent a lot of time in Calgary and anytime I was out in Calgary, they always called me, Oh, she came from the East coast. So I just yes. assumed that Toronto was considered the East Coast in in Calgary. Well, anything east of Winnipeg is considered the East Coast. <laughs> That's right. I love it. I love it. Okay, favorite one of your favorite books that you love to get in the hands of everybody. Ooh, there are so many. Um, well, it depends on what the topic is. Narrow it down with a topic. Let's do um, like personal growth or mindset or something in that space. 
Oh, uh, well, the the name mindset by Carol Dweck, uh, the, the the mindset by Carol Dweck is one of my favorite books uh, on that topic for sure, and talks about growth mindset, fixed mindset, and how to curate that. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Well, one of the things that we have in common is athletics as a background, and I'm always curious when I see people have success kind of outside athletics and building businesses and growing businesses are going back to and identifying like who were some of those coaches or mentors that really supported you in unlocking what you're doing today. So can you think of a favorite mentor or somebody who's been a coach to you who has really helped shape what you're doing today? Yeah. The, the each, each phase of my sports career and, and even life uh, coaches have been just so instrumental. And I think one of my little league coaches is probably the the biggest one um, or a spring and attic. He was, uh, yeah, I don't even know how he see, he always seemed to be 80, but uh, I, I think it was just because I was like eight years old when I first met him or seven years old. And so he just seemed old. He was probably in his fifties at the time, <laughs> but um yeah, he was, he was fantastic. And just, he built batting cages in his backyard and brought all the kids from around the city and to pitch and hit. And, uh, he was just this voice of, you know, like a tough love, but also voice of reason. And he, he, he helped mold us as people and athletes. And, uh, mm. that was an, phenomenal. Mm, I love that. I love that. Let's go down that road a little bit more. I want to I want to help listeners understand your background and the story of where you've come from and how athletics have shaped what you're doing today and why you're so passionate about what you're doing today. So if you're open to it, just share a little bit more about your story. Yeah. Uh as as a kid, I uh, my parents kept us active. Uh we were skiers as a family and we went camping and we were playing all kinds of different sports. I think I played almost every sport at, in high school and junior high. And uh, my two main ones were hockey and baseball. And uh, when I got into high school, I was supposed to go play junior at, um, I think it was Chilliwack or Abbotsford. I can't remember which one. Um, so I got uh, selected to go there and then at that same that same year i got drafted by the new york yankees so that sort of cemented okay i was going the, the baseball direction the baseball direction and uh yeah i played for national baseball institute for a bunch of years and and through a bunch of injuries and and again not uh, necessarily i was a pitcher so not throwing hard enough uh, for what the scouts were looking for i never ended up playing for the yankees which uh still an amazing experience i traveled all around north america playing baseball and uh, got to compete in all kinds of different international tournaments, which was fantastic. And yeah, it, it teaches you so much about life and you know business, especially as a student going through university, traveling and having to make sure you're committed to getting your homework done and getting good grades, which not all um, student athletes do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think there's much more of a expectation that student athletes keep up their grades these days but uh back in the dark ages when i went to, when i was doing it uh sometimes there were i guess people going there that would come back after four years or five years with like one or two semester of transfer credits mm -hmm. so, i've seen that too i've yes. seen that as well mm -hmm. yeah did you go to school in the u.s 
I went to, I decided to stay in Canada. Uh, I, for a number of reasons, the out-of-state tuition in the U.S. is crazy. I had some, I had some full-ride scholarships to smaller schools, but the education wasn't as good in those schools. And so I had an opportunity to get my um, university paid for at Simon Fraser. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I went to SFU in, in Burnaby, BC and um, loved it. Great school. And uh, yeah, the quality of education was just a lot higher knowing that, uh, you know, based the, the odds of making it to the majors are pretty slim and <laughs> uh, slim to none in a lot of places and being able to make sure that I came out of it with a good education was important. Yeah. I love that. I, I had a, a similar kind of experience as I was swimming at a high level and, um, had some opportunities that were presenting themselves to go to, again, I would say, um, smaller schools in the U S and it was at a stage in my life where I was falling out of love with the sport. And when, you know, when you're in the, when you're in it, you're in it, you're, I was in the pool six hours a day, plus dry land training, plus weight training, plus, 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 you know, you can just add it up. It really can take over all aspects of your life. And, uh, I ended up staying local in Canada as well and did a business degree at McMaster university in Hamilton. And that was a big piece of it also for me is just recognizing that the education component was really important to me and I could continue doing athletics in different ways and just allowing that to unfold. And I know that's something that was true for you too, because after university talk about where you started to started to get involved in what you started to get involved in. Yeah, my uh, and and this is a you know a lesson to all the younger kids out there that are thinking about going into I guess athletics and school. At the time, I my goal was to do sports medicine, and uh, and, and go to med school. And I remember my first year university, I started taking pre med courses and everything, and I had some of the coaches and even some of the teachers, unfortunately said oh as a student athlete yeah you'll never be able to handle the um the course load of um a medicine track while you're traveling and uh, i unfortunately listened to them and i didn't Mm -hmm. go and i I ended up taking psychology kinesiology uh which i love but you know i i think back and i'm i'm like i knowing what i know now I would have made it work because as an athlete, you learn resilience and tenacity and you just make it happen. And that's, uh, that's something that I take to heart this today. And so, you know, I tell my kids, I'm like, you, we will support you to make whatever you want to make happen. And, uh, and that's, uh, that's something that we're really passionate about. My wife was a competitive athlete as well. She was a a national team uh, freestyle skier. Amazing. Yeah, so we we get it, and our kids don't uh, get the luxury of uh, giving up on things. <laughs> yeah, I get that. I had the I had a moment at crossroads in my first year of university where um, I, was, I decided to play tennis. So tennis was the second sport for me, and so I stepped into playing varsity tennis and had a had a similar conversation with one of the counselors at the school who said yeah, you know, like the business curriculum is really difficult. Like there are other programs you can go into and it almost felt like a sell into whether it was communications or arts or whatever it was great programs. 
But for me, business was always something I wanted to explore and get into because I knew that there was something outside of it at the end of the day. Like I could create a business. I could join a business. There was just, it just felt like more opportunity after school. And, and I was really passionate about it. And so I, I said, thanks for the advice and said, no, put my head down. And although I, you know, wasn't your A plus student, I had to work for it. That's what athletics taught me. I had a work ethic that knew put anything in front of me, even if it's a difficult subject, I'm going to figure it out because there's this, as you said, tenacity and resilience and work ethic that just shows up with athletics. And there's a sense of time management as well as since I was eight years old, I had to make and prioritize experiences in my life. And so, you know, going to the library on a Thursday night instead of the bar was like, ah, it's just a piece of it, right? It's just a piece of this stage of life that I'm at right now. So yeah, I appreciate that perspective of how you've taken what you've learned just from your own career in athletics. Um, and that led you into strength and conditioning training. Is that correct? Yeah. As, as I said, I was doing psychology, kinesiology. And so uh, after I was finished playing baseball, or even as I was doing that, I was always in the gym. So I was, you know, I ended up getting my personal training certification and uh, becoming strength conditioning coach for National Baseball Institute. Once I had left, worked with a lot of high end athletes, um, Olympians, pro athletes. Uh, when I when I was in Vancouver, but then I moved to Calgary and I helped get national sports development started. And uh, worked with a lot of athletes there. So again, saw the the work ethic. And as I was personal training, a lot of the clients at the time, this is 30 years ago now, um, most of the people doing it were senior executives. And they would start saying, hey, I like your approach. This is different than I've seen before with other trainers. Uh, can you come and talk to my team about this? And so I would do seminars and workshops for corporate clients. And then a lot of the companies started saying, Hey, we're, we're building a gym in our building. Can you uh, let us know what equipment we need? And can you help us design it based on the programs you're, you're working with? So we got into the facility design side and, uh, and then managing corporate fitness centers. And we've been doing that for 20 years now is managing mm -hmm. uh, large corporate fitness centers for companies, which is great. We love it. But my whole reason I got into it was to help people raise their performance and their their overall well-being and what we realized while running these corporate gyms is that we're seeing the same group of people that would be using the gym whether you had a fancy one or not or even if you didn't have one they would probably find some open space where they could do their exercise because that's what they did we weren't able to we weren't creating an impact on the rest of the company the people that hated the gym would never step foot inside of one and yet from a company standpoint, those are the people that need it the most. And they also are the people that have the greatest uh, negative or cost impact on the company from low performance. And so we started looking at the bigger picture and saying, what can we do to help with that? And this, then we started offering workplace wellness programs, mm -hmm. a bunch of different uh, initiatives and targeted programs throughout an organization that are what would mostly fall all under the traditional wellness umbrella these days, which again, helped us access more people. But what we realized was there, 
there were some other barriers in place from an organizational mindset, organizational structure standpoint that really limited the effectiveness of those programs. And it continues to limit it to this day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are some of the core beliefs or philosophy? Like, what are you seeing that's actually holding these organizations back from embracing wellness holistically? A couple different uh, areas. I'd say the first is mindset uh, and mindset of executive leaders around what it is they're actually investing in. And when you say wellness to a C-level leader, typically their eyes gloss over and they just say, okay, go talk to HR. That's, they deal with that. Or they say, we are really, our company is really big on wellness. We embrace that. We love wellness. We have a great benefits plan. We do a DEI seminar. We do stress management workshops. We have a mental health app. Check, check, check. They check off all these boxes and they are listing a whole bunch of features, but what they're not measuring or where their mindset needs to shift is that they're not looking at it as a tool to improve well-being. Mm-hmm. Well-being. And I, I separate wellness and well-being in the sense that wellness is the tactics. Um, you know, the all the list of things that I mentioned, the benefits and the seminars and workshops, those are all tools and tactics to help you improve performance and well-being. Yet most companies think it's just the wellness that needs to happen. So they're offering all these programs in an environment that's strangling the effectiveness, to put it mildly. Mm -hmm. When the mindset of leadership is that, hey, we've offered it, shut up and do your job. Mm -hmm. That's an issue because, and this is, we saw this firsthand running corporate fitness centers is we'd have employees say to us, Hey, I'd love to come to the gym, but my boss doesn't look kindly on it if I'm take time out of my day to do this. Uh, and I have kids, so I can't come before, I can't come after work. And my boss books meetings until noon, and we don't get it there until 10 after. And then I've got another meeting at one, and I have to prepare for that next meeting and eat my lunch in the meantime. So I just don't have time. Yeah. So we we see these inherent roadblocks maybe unconsciously, they might not even be, um, yeah, conscious roadblocks. They're just there. They're organizational habits and strategies that have been put in place that are limiting the ability for employees to utilize the programs that the company is promoting. And we see that all day, every day. (laughs) You're speaking in past life language to me. So um, (laughs) for those that are tuning in, you know that I had a background in corporate HR. I was, um, you know, in, in kind of grew up in HR, if you will, in a fortune 50 organization. And, uh, I would say that they were actually pretty progressive when it comes to well-being, And yet there were still some of the tendencies you're talking through, whether it was at that organization or the one that I, I joined after that, where just the energy of what was expected of you from a performance standpoint of output when it comes to business related tasks was so high that the amount of days I would run back to back, like back to back meetings was, I would say 80% plus. And that was inclusive of 
grabbing my lunch, warming it up quickly and eating it at my desk while I prepped for whatever next meeting there was. If I had a half an hour, 45 minute gap. And for me at the time, like the time I went to the gym was 5am. I was a swimmer growing up. So that's the time that I would get up and get there so that I could have done my run, my lift, get to my desk by seven, seven thirty, and kind of kick off the day and, and get home at a decent time. And I can imagine the mindset. It would be difficult for somebody to say, Hey, at 11 o'clock today, I'm going to go to the gym because I have a training session with Tim and we have this gym here. And I'm going to go use that facility because I know if I go to the gym at 11, I'm going to be really on this afternoon. I'm going to perform better. My output's going to be better. I'm going to be more personable. I'm going to have more energy. The dopamine's going to hit in all of the things that we know are benefits of why we're moving our bodies, but it wasn't embraced or accepted in that culture because the culture was really focused on literal output yeah, and not truly identifying how performance can be changed when we're taking care of ourselves holistically, right? From a, from a mindset standpoint, from a physical standpoint, from an energetic and emotional standpoint, like it's cohesive across so many different reasons. And, uh, I can understand some of the barriers that you're coming across. And I'm curious for you, like, what's it going to take for us to get this? You know, I run my own business now. I'm no longer in a corporate environment. And my day looks really fundamentally different than it did when I was in corporate because I've intentionally designed it this way. Yeah. So for me, I'm not taking care of any clients or taking care of anything in business until I take care of myself. Because if I can take care of myself, I'm showing up better as a mother, as a spouse, as a business partner for my clients and for my team. And that was innately, that was always something I innately knew, but I'm curious, like, what's it going to take for us to wake up and realize that prioritizing well-being is in fact going to create greater output from a performance standpoint? It's, well, it's exactly that leaders particularly the senior leaders embracing that fact and most of i've i've yet to talk to a leader that doesn't conceptually understand that like everyone will say oh yes healthy people are more productive more loyal they get more done they don't burn out stress levels are managed blah 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 they 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 get that yet the day-to-day reality of companies is polar opposite to that and coming at it from the athlete standpoint like the what you said is 80 percent of your days at this previous company were back to back to back to back i my wife works she's an executive at uh, uh you know a utility company and same thing she's like double and triple books sometimes she like pops in and out of meetings and like she has so it doesn't even have time to go pee some days. No, it's like, I know, I know that feeling. I get it. Yeah. And th- from an athlete standpoint, if we're looking at competitive athletes that are trying to perform at their best, you, they can't, you can't run them that way. It's like saying to Usain Bolt, Hey, um, you can run a 10 second, hundred meters. Great. You're going to do that for 42 K. It's just not possible. Mm-hmm. You need, and if we, uh, with clients, when we do our, um, you know, seminars and workshops and the, the different learning and development uh, programs, 
we have uh we help people look at the i guess circadian rhythms the you know light dark cycles like so we have to rest at night um, but even in the day we have ups and downs of of energy levels and are we able to harness those and use them effectively uh, on weekends ideally we get a break there so every night we get a a recovery break uh weekends we get a little extended recovery long weekends um there are uh holidays throughout the year and then even on a quadrennial basis a lot of people take sabbatical or an extended leave to rest regenerate the problem is when people aren't using those effectively if you're working on your phone in the middle of the night sending emails you're not getting your rest recovery you're not shutting off if you're working all weekend and you can do that for quite a while mm-hmm. and you can put that output out there but what we're seeing now with the stress and the burnout levels mm-hmm. is that people have been doing that for the past three and a half years four years and they're just burning out like they're they're physically not able to sustain that level and it's hardest when we look at the stats like stress and burnout across all employee populations is huge but at the senior level at the leadership level it's even higher than the employee levels because leaders are just burnt out and when you are a burnt out leader you're not leading your team effectively you don't have the emotional intelligence the uh strategic decision-making ability to meet people where they are and help them. Mm -hmm. And that's something that is a fundamental blocker to success right now is that companies and leadership are trying to create this increased output without taking care of themselves, without taking care of their teams, without seeing the bigger picture and looking at it through a performance or well-being lens. And that's, that needs to change before anything else changes. You're speaking, literally you're speaking my story. So I love, thank you for sharing that. Cause I'm sitting over here nodding because this is, this is the story that I lived. And I think there's so many parallels that we can share through story, which is, Hey, at the end of the day, these companies hire athletes or ex-athletes or athletes who, you know, have retired because they love how an athlete is wired. We are wired a little differently. We are resilient and tenacious and we have work ethic and we have understand time management. And often we can like also mentally and physically lift more than others. We can hold more. We can hold the stress. We have capacity to be able to hold more. What happened in my story is the company I worked for hired athletes constantly because we were a output high driven performance based team. That's phenomenal. I loved being around a players hanging out with other a players makes you want to continue to thrive and get better. And one of the things that I happened in my story is you can do that until a certain extent, because when you put too much stress on the body. And there's no, and I mean the body holistically, and there's no rest and recovery. There's no time for the pause. There's no time to actually recover. It starts to weigh on the physicality. And so in my story, and and Tim, this is the first time you're hearing it, I know, but for me, after almost a decade of 
grinding and being performance driven and getting the next role and making more money and all the things that I was striving to do in my own personal career, I had my body and my mind physically break down. I walked into a doctor and this is a, I'm a, in my late twenties, working out every day, eating well, and yet my body was still breaking down. And I walked into a doctor's office at the age of 27 and was told that I had a brain tumor. And when I, in hindsight, look back to all the reasons why that happened, I can see the overwhelm and the burnout and how my body was responding to it, but I wasn't listening. Excuse me. I just kept grinding and grinding and grinding. So I'm, I'm assuming you're seeing that as well in companies. Absolutely. Yeah. And you bring up a great point of, you know, companies love to hire athletes. And if you look at, it's something like, uh, and I, I'm going to get the exact stats wrong, but it's something like 60 or 70% of C-level executives. Um, and this was a U.S. stat have a former competitive athlete background and for female executives, mm-hmm. it's like 90% of female executives have a competitive sports background. Because as you said, we're wired differently and we can produce more, or carry more. The, you know, I, I use the pitching analogy. I'm like, there's a, there's a reason that pitchers, starting pitchers only pitch every fifth game or fourth game. Right. Because you need that rest. Sure. A pitcher could start every game for a week or two, probably, but the chance of itch injury is astronomically higher. And when we start to take those concepts from sports and bring them in, like, yeah, we want to perform high. We want to produce, we want to build a, a team that's behind us and, and a high performing team. But looking at how we're leading that team is critically important. Mm-hmm. Not everyone has the capacity to output for as long as we do. And I think executives, senior executives sometimes forget that they also have additional resources. There are reasons that pro athletes can put out the performances they can because they have a team of sports medicine, uh, massage therapists, athletic trainers, sports psychologists, and the list goes on of these Mm -hmm. professionals that are supporting them. Mm -hmm. There was a, um, I was listening to a story about uh, LeBron James. And so when he travels with the team, the team has uh, like a trainer and uh, conditioning coach and everything for the team. But LeBron has his own sports medicine team that he travels with. He pays a million dollars a year to bring his trainer, massage therapist, uh, athletic therapist, and medical advisor. I think all they all travel with him. And people are like, well, that's ridiculous. The team already has it. But for him, as he's making whatever 30, 40, 50 million dollars a year or more, um, if he gets one more year of career out of that, it's well worth the investment. Right. And so as as executives, we sometimes forget that we have more resources than the average person in the employee population at our disposal. And when we, we're both executive coaches, we understand that like when 
executives have a coach, not the person that's the junior associate doesn't have an executive coach helping them out. They don't have these other resources. They're coming at it from a, uh, a, a different perspective yeah, and they don't have the, the experience as well. So when we look at what we're asking people to do, it's often setting them up for failure or, or disenchantment or burnout yeah. And you hear that more and more is this, this whole idea of burnout. I'm sorry, I went on a coughing fit there. <laughs> I had to pause. Um, but it is this whole idea of, I'm hearing more and more of my peers and my friends and some of the highest performing people I had the privilege of working with that are just done. Like they just get to a point where they're done and, you know, you can only run it so long until you're done. And, and when that hits, I'm always thinking about, yeah, you might've gotten the output of that person for 10 years, but what was possible if they stayed with you? What's possible from a development and a retention standpoint? How much is a cost to replace the knowledge that that person has that they've built on the foundations of this business for 10 years? You know, there's always these questions that I have and going back to our sports analogy, because I just think that there's so many parallels between leadership and business and sports is, you know, I have this conversation all the time, which is, you know, it'd be crazy from a, from a recruitment standpoint, it'd be crazy for a professional sports team to not be drafting and signing the next best, best athletes coming out of high school and or university. They're proactively thinking about, which is the experience you had with the Yankees. They were signing you when you were how old? 17. You were 17 getting signed with the Yankees, even though they knew that you might not pitch for them for multiple years. It didn't yeah. matter. They were already making the investment in you and drafting you and signing you to their team. And I see that a lot in recruitment. It's like we're reactive in business. We wait till there's a problem and then we try to fix it. So a role comes open and now we're scrambling to quote unquote, fill the seat. And I'm always so curious, like what if we took a more proactive approach to all things, including well-being and wellness? And took more of an athletic mindset to creating these programs and understood that, you know, maybe traveling with the executive coach or having access to a coach for everybody in the organization or allowing them to move their body in the middle of the day because they know they're going to be better holistically from a, from a leadership standpoint. What if we could take the same methodology that we're seeing professional athletes do? and bring it into our professional business settings. What would yeah. be possible then? When you, it's a, yeah, it's exactly that is it has to start with a strategy and at the executive level that looking through the entire business through that, what I call well-being and performance lens changes everything. That's it. Because if we know anything about sports, it's all about quantified results. You know, you've got times and you've got metrics and you've got all these things and businesses have that now, but they're not looking at those metrics through a lens of well-being and performance and, and sustainability. Yeah. They're looking at, you know, the quarterly profits, which, you know, when you, in, when you look at it through the lens of performance and we're seeing some businesses step back from that quarterly reporting a bit more and looking at long-term and saying, Hey, you know, we're investing in this. The next few quarters are, are probably going to show less of less profitability or even a loss, but it's with this longer term vision in mind. That's great. Mm -hmm. With people, it's the same way. And 
and I often use the analogy like uh, of the, there's two of them, the, the CFO versus the CEO. And uh, the CFO says to the CEO, hey, what if we invest in our people and they leave? And the CEO comes back and says, well, what if we don't and they stay? And exactly, yeah. Yeah, and, and when we look at well-being, properly run programs have shown there's like a meta-analysis done of all kinds of studies over the last 20 years. And it showed that on average, it's a three to $8 return for every dollar invested in, in well-being programs. And so if you go to any CFO and say, hey, if you invest X number of dollars right now, and in two to three years, you're going to see a three to eight times return on that investment. Would you do it? Hell yes. Like I don't know a CFO that would turn that opportunity down yet companies are not looking at their people performance through that lens Mm. saying this is an investment when we provide leadership training when we provide the well the leadership training first and foremost that then creates the corporate culture because you can't just flick a switch and create corporate culture it comes from leadership actions on a day-to-day basis in their interactions with their team. And until you change those interactions, the culture won't change, or at least not the way you want it to. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Oh gosh. We're going to have to have a 2.0 conversation about this because there's so many things (laughs) that we can continue to pull at um, when we're thinking about this conversation. You know, if you're listening to this and you're founder and CEO and you are, maybe this has been an Achilles heel for you where you've gotten caught up or, you know, you're not fully thinking strategically about how to optimize human performance when it comes to your people, then highly recommend reaching out to Tim and having a conversation. Tim, what are the best ways for people to get access to you, learn about how to work with you, et cetera? Uh, TimBoris.com. My other website is freshgroup.ca. And uh, yeah, TimBoris.com is more my coaching and speaking area, but you can still reach me through that. And yeah, I'd love to love to connect with people. I I'm passionate about working with companies and leaders that are passionate about change. Love that. Yes. We need we need more of the change makers in, in the seats. I love that. Tim, it's been such a privilege. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. It really has been an honor to just learn more about you and tap into your your zone of genius. If you're looking for Tim, I'll make sure that all of the uh, details to get access to him are in the show notes. So just one click away, make sure you check that out. Um, Tim, thank you for your time and excited to continue this conversation as we tune off on the podcast. Thank you so much, Jackie. It's been my pleasure and I look forward to the next uh, version 2.0. Amazing. All right, guys, we'll see you again on the Jackie Service Show. Thank you for listening in to today's show. If there was a key message that landed with you, please share or send us a direct message on Instagram at Jackie Service and let us know. We love hearing from you. Also, to continue to keep this podcast growing, it would mean the world if you could take a minute and like and rate the show or share it with a friend. Our team is forever grateful. Until next time, we'll see you again on the Jackie Service Show.